Good morning, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this webinar organized by XAPA.org, Advise, Invest, and Advocate. Uh, and uh, we are an organization that is delighted as part of that long series of uh, webinars um, to advance um, discussions uh, enabling companies, investors, stakeholders to align on how best they can accelerate and amplify contribution to the sustainable development goals. Brief uh, online meeting instructions uh, to make the most of our uh, discussion all together today. Um, you can change your name and it's great for everyone in this webinar to know who you are. Um, you are automatically muted and that's a basic principle to ensure that each of you benefit from the best uh, level of, um, of, of, of discussion and understanding of what our interveners will be um, able to share today. Um, we prefer to turn off the cameras uh, simply because that's a good way to maximize attention on the content. Um, most of you are actually also sharing those contents with colleagues in a podcast mode, so it's a good way to, um, to make that um, content accessible without the video. Um, and um, it's a good way to minimize the, the footprint of this um, event as well. Feel free to invite participants um, and uh, include at XAPA or uh, should you want to um, uh, um, share information about this webinar using your preferred uh, social media. And we will um, make sure that um, the list of registered particip uh, participants is accessible on LinkedIn mostly. Um, so you can see uh, what are the other organizations joining um, those webinars. Um, given that that's part of our .org um, activities and advocacy, um, it's all open source and accessible. And in the days following the event, the presentation and the content are accessible on xapa.org in our publication section. Um, so you can feel free um, to not have to use the time today uh, to take note and instead um, really uh, listen carefully to what our interveners in the discussion will uh, enable you to uh, confirm or discover uh, across this one hour that we will be um, uh, delighted to spend together. My name is Farid, and I'm um, Farid Badash, and I'm uh, working for uh, XAPA. And uh, today, our webinar is on matching private sector pledges with SDG impact metrics. Um, I'll present very briefly uh, what we are at XAPA.org, and most importantly, I'll make a brief introduction um, for each of us uh, to have a shared understanding of what we will want to cover today in discussion with our three interveners. Um, and in simple terms, um, just browse our website, xapa.org, to better know what we're doing. But we're a global organization, impact-oriented, meaning that we have uh, three pillars of activities uh, that we lead across a large um, um, combination of expertises, um, experts, and strategic partners across the globe, ensuring that we lead advisory activities and we design and manage impact funds. We lead um, advisory activities, for example, right now to design some impact indicators for a larger set of something like 400 million um, that is really aligned with SDGs. When an impact fund, we design and manage um, fund addressing climate transition, uh, and or um, other fronts, um, uh, for example, programs addressing human rights risk mitigation, for example, on large agricultural supply chain or addressing workers um, at factory. So that's typically the kind of thing that we are managing. And as part of our .org activity, we, are, we have an inbuilt commitment to advocacy, and you're part of one of the 
series of webinars that we're leading across topics that address in broad sense human rights, climate, um, uh, ESG, and impact investment. Uh, and um, we, you can access all of these briefing papers, blog articles on our uh, publication section on our website. Um, most recently, we've published a lot of information related to the recent um, European um, uh, initiatives um, on taxonomy and on um, um, a couple of issues that are strongly related to um, norming um, ESG information. And um, we are delighted that as part of the webinar today, uh, we can keep going with series of discussions, ensuring that um, a large number of um, uh, stakeholders uh, that are part of um, our ecosystem in a broad sense are capable to come and share perspectives, ensuring that our community of large companies and their stakeholders, investors and their stakeholders can find a platform a global platform where to advance discussions and concrete tools and practical examples, understanding how best they can improve um, contribution to the big topics we believe today, which are inclusiveness, respect of human rights, uh, climate transition, circular economy. So today we're here to talk about matching private sector pledges with SDG impact metrics. Um, in fact, we just in very uh, brief and um, introductory terms, wanted to introduce to the topic, sharing a few learnings that we found our way across our programs. First, there is a strong private sector buy-in to believe that the SDG frame overall, a good and pertinent uh, framework uh, where to drive private sector contribution to um, building more resilient, more inclusive, better society. However, there is clearly, and that's been our own experience, lack of alignment with investors um, and with other stakeholders, which can lead to misconception, conflictual situations, even in some instances. Um, therefore, a conclusion um, is quite simple. We believe that as it is time, and there are many studies or reports um, supporting what I'm going to say, it, there are trillions that are being shifted um, from the investment community to support um, transitions to low carbon economy, to better access to education and multiple SDG related programs. Um, the shifting of this trillion demands fundamentally discipline. What are we talking about? What's the scope? What is the right metric? And how to ensure that there is alignment between at the very minimum investors and companies or program and on a broader perspective uh, between, I would say, programs which can be funded by investors and companies vis-a-vis um, -vis, uh, their broader stakeholders. We are um, positioned uh, to have thought of that because we believe that absence of discipline can lead, and there have been many examples where that's been unfortunately the case, to allegation of SDG washing. So what I'm displaying here on the screen are five principles we've been using all the time as part of our greed at SAPA, ensuring that across those five principles, a program can be built with a very robust understanding of its core SDG contribution um, without getting into the details that implies that the discipline of designing a program that claims to contribute, for example, to energy transition has to um, 
um, align with those principles. And for example, just to give an illustrative uh, aspect of what I'm talking about, um, making sure that it's uh, connected to the core of the program. It's not marginal in what the program intends to achieve. And that there is a balanced understanding of um, the adverse um, impact that might be um, uh, generated by, um, by the program itself. For example, some climate transition program uh, might have not necessarily a very positive impact on um, circular economy or and on job creation. That can be the case. So at least being able to uh, acknowledge that, I think is we think is 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 better than to explore what solutions can ensure uh, to address those potential adverse impacts than not. So this is accessible in a briefing paper and series of blogs on the, our website as well. If those principles can help each of you to ensure um, robust understanding of um, SDG contribution of programs. I will close uh, with um, uh, just a few um, complementary points. Um, as you can see, the challenge, we believe, um, of SDG impact in two, key, two figures is that we want to shift the trillions on the one hand. On the other hand, there are significant pledges made by multiple organizations. And at the end of the day, that all implies that these funding or those programs which claim to be geared to support um, SDG impact measure, contribution must be delivered um, through sustainable investment supported by integrity and strong integrity, uh, which implies um, that um, there are toolkits that are actually already out there and we've worked ourselves with um, a lot of expertise available um, on the market. Um, for example, we've worked a lot with the Iris Plus uh, reference system ourselves. Um, there are many other tools um, that have been there for some years, ensuring that we can build increasingly greater um, alignment or consistency in the way we build comparable information. We can challenge uh, stakeholders claiming that there might be risks of SDG washing, among other risks. And most importantly, we can measure whether and to which extent uh, a program has a very strong and uh, contribution to advancing SDGs. We thought that uh, for the webinar today, we would um, move to a next level of, of discussions and simply start from uh, having a contribution from Priscilla, Carla and Roberto, um, sharing different perspectives as practitioners and people who have developed their own programs or tools, uh, bringing their own expertise on those um, important topics. So I will make sure uh, that in order uh, we, you will get a chance to uh, um, uh, explore how uh, Priscilla um, has been exploring this concept. And uh, we're lucky today because we benefit from um, an initiative toolkit that had been released just in late May, very recently. Um, um, supported by OECD and UNDP. Um, Carla uh, will share afterward um, experience, um, actually I should say a decade of experience coming from the Climate Policy Initiative. And Roberto will share also the strong commitment made by Ibedrola on the topic and at some point challenges and what's working well today. So in order, I will um, first uh, welcome uh, Priscilla for a brief um, introduction of yourself and how uh, you've been uh, exploring those topics. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for the introduction. And I'm really glad to be here with you today. Um, it's fantastic to have the chance to share with you the work we did together with uh, the UNDP on the impact standards for financing sustainable development. So as what it said, my name is Priscilla Boyardi. I'm a policy analyst in the private finance for sustainable development team in the development cooperation directorate at the OECD. So as it, that's very long, but it's just to say that basically what we do in my team, we, we really try to help donors work better with the private sector. And, and the reason why we exist is that as Farid also said, there is a huge uh, financing gap for the SDGs. We all know that. And there is a recognition since 2015. So the Addis Ababa Action Agenda that if we want to fill that SDG financing gap, we really need to make sure that we also use and leverage the resources, the expertise and the know-how of the private sector. And that means, of course, investors, but also companies that can um, work for sustainable development. So I, I think I had a couple of slides. I don't know, Farid, if you want to go to the next slide, just to thank you so much. So. Um, when we, we started to do this work on the impact standards back in uh, at the beginning of last year, just before the start of the pandemic, and uh, the work on the standards took us through a fantastic 10 months journey through which we really uh, co-developed together with development finance institutions, private asset managers, civil society organizations and impact measurement and management experts a full set of standards that uh, organizations can use when they seek to demonstrate public accountability regarding how they measure and manage the impact. So this is really going in the direction of uh, fighting against SDG washing, because we really, uh, when we started this journey, we realized that many organizations, they want to embed the SDGs, they want to report on how they align with the SDGs, but at the same time, this attempt to link their work with the metrics doesn't really change in depth the way in which their companies or investors operate. So this is the issue that we have identified. And so we decided to take a step back and say, okay, why don't we take a more institutional approach? Why don't we try and help organizations that want to work in sustainable development look at their systems, so their strategies, their management approach, their governance system, and their provisions for transparency, and help them assess whether they are a quality that is high enough to guarantee that they're really working to maximize their positive impacts, and at the same time, to minimize the potential negative impact that they have. And in, throughout this journey, what we realized is that it, there are so many initiatives that exist out there there is actually a lack of clear guidance on what does it mean to embed uh, impact into an investment strategy, how you can in embed impact into operations and the management approach, how can you change the governance system so that you're really showing that you are committing to impact. And of course, last but not least, there are still a lot of issues when it comes to transparency and accountability. Organizations and investors are not yet disclosing enough their, the way in which they, their performance, let's say, on the sustainable development goals, but also how they are measuring and managing that performance. So this is basically uh, where the standards come from. And as you can see on this slide, uh, they are divided into these four building blocks that I was just briefly telling you about. So we really provide detailed guidance on how to embed impact in the strategy, 
in the management approach, in the governance, and how to live up to the highest possible standards in terms of transparency and accountability. And within the standards, each standard, I, I don't have the time to go into the detail, but I'll put you uh, in the chat the link to the all work if you want to take a look. But for each of the standards, we provide three to five substandards, which clearly detail what we mean, um, what are the exact provisions to live up to when it comes to, to each of the standards. And what you will see when you look into detail at the, at the standards, you will see that they include quite ambitious provisions for, when it, for stakeholder engagement, for example. And we had a lot of discussions on what is the best way in which stakeholders can be involved. And we really try in the, in the standards and then in the guidance we're working on right now to clarify what does it mean to uh, engage stakeholders and what does it take. We also, since we're working on development, of course, we have ambitious provisions for the embedding uh, activities into local development needs to make sure that, of course, the activities does not only benefit the investor or, the, let's say, organization coming from uh, the developed country, but also uh, the partner country. And of course, uh, a lot of um, provisions for uh, sustaining impact after exit, which is still quite of a big issue for many of the investors uh, that we talk to. So very briefly on the next slide, I just wanted to clarify that we really tried to avoid reinventing the wheel. When we decided to do this work, it's because we really saw that there was a piece missing in the whole ecosystem. Uh, there are a lot of initiatives on impact management, but most of them either stay at the high level and provide principles on what does it mean to be an impact investor, what does it mean to be a sustainable organization, or they go very, very much into the details of the, which metrics you should use to track your performance or which metrics you should use to disclose your performance. But the, the piece that we worked on with UNDP was exactly that, that thing you see in the middle, which, we, which is what we really observed discussing with the DFIs, the investors and the donors was missing. So something that would provide guidance um, on, on how to implement these higher level principles in a way that would be uh, of high quality. Um, I just want to mention also that the standard will be accompanied by guidance, but also, and this is valid for our UNDP OSD standard, but also for the other standards in the, in the family, let's say, they will be uh, accompanied by a clear uh, assurance framework that can be used by external verificators, let's say from organizations that provide external verification uh, of the adherence to the standards to assess exactly that adherence. Because one other thing we've noticed is that uh, when you have high level principles um, and that even when they require external verification, very often, let's say in all cases, uh, it's the verification entity is left a little bit uh, free to uh, verify according to own methodologies because a common standard methodology for verification doesn't exist. And this is dangerous, of course, because this can push this industry towards the same issues that we are observing today with the ESG rating system that you know different rating agencies have very different systems and as the same company or organization of investor can have very different ratings. So in order to avoid that, we really want to empower the external verifying organizations with a tool that would allow them to assess in a more equal way the different organizations that want to uh, embed the standards. 
And so one last word on the next slide on the process, just so you know, if you want to be involved, uh, I would be more than happy to provide you with more detail on, on how to, but um, as was shared earlier, the, the DAC, um, the, the toolkit, let's say the standards were launched in May 2021, but they were actually approved by our development assistance committee already in March 2021. And so since April 2021, we have started communica communicating about them but um, also we have been uh, working on developing the detailed guidance and also on a few pilot studies to see how the standards work in practice. We are really hoping that this is a tool that is broadly used uh, out there. It's completely free, we don't charge, of course. Um, so I, I would be more than happy to provide you with more detail on how to get engaged. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share this and I look forward to the discussion. Thank you very much for um, those initial elements. Um, for everyone in the chat, you can um, access, and uh, I think Priscilla mentioned that, um, a link uh, to download basically more of the, the content. And just before uh, moving to um, uh, the next um, intervener, um, just a one quick question for you, Priscilla, that is coming my way and I think of interest for everyone is how on concrete terms to join this community for those willing to test or pilot or then provide feedback or the, as, as mentioned in this slide. Yeah, I will send a, an email. I will put an email address in the chat. You can send us an email and then I can uh, send you all the, the details. But uh, we already have a consultation on the guidance for standard one this Thursday, so in two days. So if you're interested to already uh, join that, send me an email quickly so I can share with you the invitation and the Zoom link. That's the beauty of joining um, in real uh, those webinars and not just download and listen later on. <laughs> um, moving on and uh, welcoming um, our next intervener. Uh, we're delighted to have uh, Carla with us today, actually also who can uh, briefly introduce yourself, the Climate Policy Initiative and the lab. Yes, uh, good morning, everyone. Many thanks to Farid for the invitation today. My, my name is Carla Rego, and I'm a project manager for the Global Innovation Lab for Climate Finance, which is also known as the lab, at the Climate Policy Initiative. For those of you not familiar with CPI, we serve as the secretariat for the lab, and our mission is to work with governments, businesses, and financial institutions to drive economic growth while addressing climate change. So what is the lab? Um, the lab is a public-private partnership that was born out of the need to drive significantly more private investment to tackle climate challenges. It was developed in 2014 by the UK, US, and German governments in partnership with major development, finance institutions, key private, act, uh, key private sector actors, and several climate finance donor governments. The aim of the lab is to play a key role in the transition to a low carbon climate resilient economy by identifying, developing, and launching sustainable finance solutions that have the potential to drive billions of dollars in private sector climate investments in developing countries. The focus usually tends to be on early stage ideas and often ideas that employ a blended finance approach. 
the the lab theory of change, and uh, I will pause here to to list what you see in the right side of the slide, revolves around three key pillars. The first is a strong collaboration between the public and private sectors. The second is to openly source concepts for transformative financial instruments worldwide. And the third is having a powerful network of financiers and policymakers to move solutions in, into action. So in more practical terms, uh, what the lab does, the lab is an incubator program that develops innovative financial mechanisms that attract private capital into climate change mitigation and adaptation. Financial instruments can include different innovative bond applications, private, private equity funds, uh, leasing approaches, and pay for success models, uh, among others. To date, uh, we have helped develop 49 instruments across geographies and in sectors that are key to a sustainable economy. We have more than 70 member institutions, and these instruments have collectively mobilized 2.5 um, billion dollars in climate action. So as you can see in, in the slide, our network brings together all types of institutions to address the sustainable investment gap. And this includes governments, development finance institutions, project developers, commercial banks, philanthropies, and others. And it has been endorsed by the G7 the, and the Brazilian and the Indian governments. So can you go to the next slide for you, please? So one of the key factors we see when developing an instrument it is its catalytic potential. Um, this means that the instrument not only has the potential to be scale-up and replicated, but, but also it has the potential to achieve socioeconomic development and environmental impacts. In that sense, um, a core focus area in our development process is the impact assessment. We basically do two things. We evaluate how an instrument's successful implementation would have um, a material impact uh, in the market. And our impact modeling must indicate that social and climate impacts of the instruments are possible beyond the business as usual scenarios. And we track this impact through contributions and improvements to the SDGs. And we use different metrics associated to specific targets, such as CO2 emissions reductions, um, megawatts of renewable energy generated, and number of jobs created, for example. And this work, as shown in the slide, translates in a portfolio of instruments that supports every SDG. The picture highlights the top 10 SDGs to which significant uh, contributions are made starting, well, of course, with SDG number 13, climate action. Now, um, for us, clearly defining the impact metrics is very important and has a twofold objective. One is to better align the instrument with stakeholders' requirements, especially from the private sector, because these are the ones we want to bring in to participate more in the space. And two is to assess the, the counterfactual to measure the value. What does this mean is that we analyze the impact additionality that is generated by, by mobilizing resources for a particular instrument. 
So um, given the increased interest in sustainable development from a wide array of organizations, we believe that more alignment regarding impact measurement is needed. So initiatives like the one Priscilla just presented uh, could actually add a lot of value. Uh, as, as Farid mentioned before, uh, a core focus, we also think that a core focus should be to prioritize indicators um, and generate more granular impact analysis. But this should be uh, in addition to more standardization and multi-holder approaches that can actually contribute to the emergence of new actors and foster more private sector participation. Uh, and along those lines, an important consideration for private sector actors to mainstreaming the, the SDGs in their operations is to incorporate the geographic and market context, uh, as well as the political and regulatory aspects of where they are gonna be operating. And this involves a, a wide range of issues that goes from defining what impact means to each uh, organization in terms of environment and, and socioeconomic impacts to determining management strategies for implementation and even setting indicators to, to measure and monitor progress. So with our current context, how we can advance more climate solutions application, and this is our main goal uh, with the lab. And we think the focus should be on, on supporting implementation of promising early stage projects and also scaling up proven successful models. Um, in, in a report issue last year, CPI identified four success factors that are fundamental to scaling climate finance. The first is to establish a track record, which means um, define concrete milestones that the instruments need to achieve in terms of capital mobilization and underground impact. Second is building economies of scales, which we define as implementing a viable strategy for continuously increasing the impact profit. What is the impact profit? It's basically the impact per dollar invested. Third is putting together a, a robust team and governance structure. And finally, identifying the right long-term partners. You may be wondering like, what do we gain from identifying these success factors? Well, um, we believe that doing so, different stakeholders can better target their support to help achieve a scale. And this is very aligned with the fact that most invest investors are now considering impact metrics in their evaluations and prioritizing investments that target SDGs that match their interests. So overall, we are seeing an increased interest in investment with SDGs matching potential and the importance of impact metrics in mobilizing more climate finance. Now, moving into applications in Latin America, um, I will talk about a concrete implementation example in the land use sector in Brazil, the, the Conexus Impact Fund. Before going into the details, I want to highlight a um, key main point, that is that Latin America, uh, what we are seeing is that it's becoming a more active market and new trends are emerging. So for instance, Impact assessment is becoming a central topic for project development and impact metrics are more widely used. Also, um, data applications are incorporated now in, in the investment evaluation and the management processes, and these are usually linked to sustainability link mechanisms. In particular, this is becoming especially relevant for the sustainable agriculture and forestry, where there is a lot of potential for development in, in Latin America. 
So the Conexus Impact Fund example illustrates how climate finance has generated impact on the ground. Conexus, uh, it's an instrument from the lab's last year cohort that we developed and endorsed last year, and is designed to direct PRONAF, which is a federal subsidized credit for smallholders to sustainable practices. However, PRONAF credit lines, bureaucratic processes, asymmetric information, and transaction costs make accessing the credit too complex, especially for small producers. And this is not only the case with PRONAF, but in general is, is a problem that smallholders have with accessing credit. So Connexus works to direct more PRONAF working capital loans to sustainable production systems with focus on forest, uh, forestry-based activities. And here, by offering simple financial products to cooperatives that engage in sustainable production systems, um, as well as financial management assistance, the fund helps to build credit history and financial capacity. The, the fund also connects local financial institutions to a pipeline of forestry and sustainable agricultural practices, helping them to become more familiar with sustainable value change. And why is this important? Because once these value chains are strengthened, this is, this, also, this is also contributing to achieve national climate and sustainability objectives. Last year, Conexus launched a COVID emergency credit line that deployed $1.3 million across 82 community businesses with social and, environment, and environmental impact, reaching about 7,500 families and 175,000 hectares. And each financing was designed as an integrated package of access to credit and administrative financial advice with the possibility of offering complementary benefits. And of the 82 businesses, 26 were selected to receive a non-reimbursable fund focused on financing sustainable activities only. And the important thing to highlight here is that these operations leverage over $250 thousand dollars in sales for the for these small businesses and 1.2 million of credit from other investors so the the catalytic potential um, is shown in in these numbers and in these activities which we believe is, is the most important or or the aim that we are trying to achieve so just a final comment to close this section um, is that building on the success of initiatives like the lab could catalyze other financial innovations and mobilize significantly more private investments, which uh, is essential to meet the increase in demand for, for green and sustainable investment. Also, aligning this initiative with the stronger impact measurement systems could help the private sector to better direct its support towards a more sustainable development. There is opportunity for more innovation and the growth potential for the climate space in particular is huge. Programs like the lab could be an effective approach as it brings together the public and the private sector and fosters a multi-holder participation. So if you are interested in more information about the lab, please feel free to reach out. Thank you. Thank you very much, Caroline. Um, it's clear that um, a few comments um, that you uh, provided uh, that were not um, supported by um, some slides. and. I don't think it's a problem in the sense that that's a good way to encourage people. Uh, Bruce um, 
the Climate Policy Initiative website and um, to have a close look at some of the case studies that are um, accessible there. Sure. I will. Um, I have actually a couple of, uh, of questions um, for you and for Priscilla, but of course I want to make sure that um, uh, we can benefit from um, the contribution of uh, Roberto as well. So just uh, moving on in the conversation and um, don't worry, um, you will um, have some uh, questions coming your way in a, in a minute. Um, welcome, uh, Roberto, in the discussion, um, and um, that would be great to introduce briefly to your um, organization and activities. Okay, space. thank you. Thanks for for the invitation. A pleasure to be here today. So, uh, thirty seconds on on Iberdrola for those who are not very familiar with the company. We are the third largest utility by market cap. About 50% of the EBITDA is coming from networks, transmission and distribution, mostly electricity, and 30% from renewable electricity generation. We operate in Spain, in UK, in the United States, in Brazil and Mexico, and are growing in other areas like Central Europe, Japan, and Australia. We are a worldwide recognized wind energy leader. And uh, just, just we were talking about financing, we are the largest corporate green bond issuer uh, as a corporate, okay, with well over 10 billion euros issued, including sustainable loans and, and credit lines. So uh, this position comes from a very early decision in, in the 2000s. The company bet for renewables when no other European utility, at least European utility, believed that renewables could support the energy mix. And this has proved to be a good and a rational bet. First, we went to wind. And then uh, much later in time, we went to photovoltaic, okay? So, uh, and of course, we also very early in the application of the most advanced communications technologies and systems for transmission and distribution. So this was a very early succession, uh, successful uh, strategic vision. We don't stop here. We will invest 75 billion euros in the next six years, uh, by which we will double our renewable capacity to 60,000 megawatts. And we will multiply by 1.5 times our networks business, uh, uh, you know, by, by adding uh, capex and, and organically grow those businesses. Now, how do we integrate the ESG and the SDGs into this strategy and, and this, these operations? Well, for us to start with, ESG is about long term, it's about sustainability, it's about a better world. For us, the United Nations 2030 agenda. It's a fundamental fundamental reference of your draw model. We have the SDGs integrated in the real company bylaws, which is reflecting this commitment. In fact, uh, a couple of articles in the bylaws are guiding the company to a management model oriented to stakeholders from the widest perspective. This is true ESG, and this is a kind way of reflecting what precisely Priscilla was mentioning in, in, their, in, in her presentation. I mean, how to integrate organically into the corporate governance system of a company SDGs. Well, this is what we did some years ago. So our ambition is to become an active agent in the transformation of the current social and economic model to get a healthier um, and a more equitative uh, world. We started by identifying ESG material aspects for the company through materiality study. Uh, we detected more than 20 uh, material things, but I won't mention them all. I, I think it's basically we could start by occupational health and safety. Second is everything regarding energy transition and climate change. 
Third is financial performance. Fourth is diversity, gender diversity uh, in most of the occasions. Fifth is digitization. And sixth is responsible investment. So we need to take care of those areas. And we think that we have five pillars uh, we need to build upon, which is basically climate governance, stakeholders engagement, target setting, operations integration, and transparency. And those are some of the elements I will cover now. Uh, on SDGs, uh, we have plenty of metrics. We have plenty of targets. We have an SDG, a sustainable development plan in the company composed by 350 targets of which we made public around 50. Uh, and let me go through some of those. For instance, SDG 7 and 13, we are in the environment side, okay? Uh, during the last 20 years, we have invested more than 120 billion in cleaner and more renewable, uh, reliable power systems. We have closed all of our coal generation plants, and we did all that by taking an innovation approach, okay? We don't stop here. As I told you, after 75 billion investment in the next six years, we will keep on decreasing our carbon footprint, and this is a very, very relevant metric for us, is the number of renewable megawatts we have in place, the amount of energy, clean energy we produce, and the scope one specific emissions uh, KPI that we measure. Now in Europe, we, we have emissions per kilowatt hour, which are two thirds below the European average, and our target is to be by 2030, zero emissions in Europe, and of course, to be a neutral worldwide uh, by 20. Uh, 50. Uh, we also have targets on digitization of the transmission and distribution grid. We want to be 75 smart grids by uh, high voltage and mid voltage networks by 2022 and more than 80% in 2025. We, of course, have targets on access of electricity to people. And we have a program called Electricity for All, which uh, is targeting to provide service, electrical service to uh, 16 million people in 2030 that didn't have service back in 2014. Uh, in four years, sorry, in, in six years, we have already achieved 14 million people. That is a relevant, very relevant metric for us. We also have metrics on clean water targets. We measure the cubic meters per gigawatt hour produced, and we are trying to, we are, we have a target to reduce that figure by 2025. We also have metrics and targets for the SDG 14 and 15 live on land. We have a very extensive biodiversity plan, but let me put you just an example. We have a plan to plant uh, 20 million trees by 2030, of which uh, by 2025, we should have already 8 million. If we go to the social side, on SDG, as I told you, SDG 3, health and safety comes first. We, of course, have metrics on, on health and safety accidents frequency indexes. Uh, which, by the way, has decreased around 33% in the last five years, and we have targets for the future to keep on this KPI reducing. Uh, we take actions is not only about metrics, it's also about actions, uh, and sometimes it's, it's, it's in, important to put actions in, relate to, in relation to metrics. Uh, the actions that we've been taking here, we feel especially proud of, is we hired more than 1,000 electric engineers in Brazil, because those were people that were subcontracted and we detected that the accidents rate was much higher in that specific group. So we decided to take the action to, to hire them, to make them employees of the group and to take them to our work and, and training standards, okay? Uh, this, is, this is important. On education, we have, of course, 
you wouldn't surprise uh, hundreds of grants with postgraduates to, to research on energy. We have collaborations with professional schools, we have agreements with universities. And another initiative of which we feel especially proud of is uh, of our School for Women Electric Engineers in Brazil, uh, where more than 20,000 women have been trained in, since 2019. And I think this is not only technically, but culturally, a very important initiative. If we go to SDG 5, for instance, gender equality, uh, we guarantee equality of pay. We measure pay gap, and we know that we have some pay gap in some constituencies. In some of the constituencies, uh, pro-women, in some of the constituencies, against women. But this is just a consequence of the jobs mix. For instance, uh, uh, what I can tell you, our, our analysis is that the pay gap is a consequence of the of the of the crystal zilling. And what we are doing is, is trying to push and to promote women interest in scientific and technical careers uh, in all the countries where we are. We also have a target here and we want to promote gender equality and increase the share of women in leadership positions to a 30% by 2025. And you may say 30% is that good figure. Well, take into consideration that in a company like Iberdrola, a utility sector, women represent and about 22% of the total workforce, the 30% is a very, very ambitious figure. Uh, SDG 8, 9, 12, I don't want to stop here, but we have targets on, on, on investments, on labor standards, on, on training hours per employee. Uh, we also have targets on R&D investment. We, we, I think last year it was a figure of around 270 million euros. We have a target of reaching 330 million euros in 2022 and 400 million euros in 2025. So that is clearly very linked to, to SDG uh, 9. And in governance, uh, I want to stop here, but I wanted to stress our commitment to SDG 16 and 17 partnerships. Uh, Iberdrola is well known by our advocacy against climate change uh, uh, and our public position favorable to any climate regulation, any climate target, sustainable taxonomies and sustainable financing instruments. Just as, as a way of illustration, we are present in forums like the Sustainable Financing Platform of the European Commission, the UN Global Compact, World Business Council for Sustainable Development, Corporate Leaders Group, and Race to Zero Alliance. Uh, uh, the, the, just to finish, on metrics and, and targets and standards, I, I want to express a concern as, as responsible in the group of non-financial reporting. And, uh, and, uh, and my comment here is that we are witnessing the emergence of multiple standards, okay? We have been reporting under GRI for more than 14 years. Now we have SASB uh, being supported by American investors, we I fund, okay? Then we also have the European Union working in the taxonomy regulation, but also working in a potential new corporate sustainability standard reporting directive, and also potentially EFRAC working in a standard for non-financial information. So this is not cheap, this is not easy. Uh, for the corporates, this is becoming a little bit of a mess and, uh, and we claim and we need a universal standard, okay? I think whenever we talk about sustainability, corporate social responsibility, SDGs, climate change, uh, non-financial strategy, et cetera. We are simply looking at the same thing from different perspectives. And I think that a lot 
can be done in, in finding a universal you know, standard, universal metrics, uh, and that will make everything easier. Uh, the task is not easy because when you look at the SDGs, uh, targets and metrics, they are meant for governments and countries. They're not meant for companies. But we, the companies, have a lot of experience to report, for instance, under GRI. So a lot of the, of the, of the trouble is already made. Okay? So we need somehow uh, international agreement, international homogeneity, and, and trying to put a little bit of common sense in, in all this world. Because, because otherwise, uh, you know, one of the main targets of, of reporting is comparability. Uh, if we don't get to be uh, to, to, to report under homogeneous basis, comparability is going to be impossible, okay? Uh, so that was like the final remark from me, just, just to say, uh, this has to be embedded in the corporate governance system. Uh, uh, SDG as a commitment is very important for a company. You need to focus on what is core. We are lucky to be in a company which detected very early in time that in our sector, we could provide a huge contribution to, to SDG 13 and 7, okay? And I think that we took the right, the right initiatives very late, early in time to assure this contribution. Thank you, Farid. Thank you, Roberta. Roberto, very um, uh, enlightening for our um, um, interveners and uh, uh, people in, um, listening to the conversation. And actually, this is rising um, um, uh, um, questions that I'm uh, happy to, to share with, um, with you all. And maybe, Priscilla, you might answer first, because in listening to uh, Carla and Roberto, several people shared um, to me uh, different questions related to governance and getting back to what you presented, asking what was the uh, basically what was the direction provided in terms of governance by um, your initiative. And to be more concrete, the concerns uh, or questions are whether the governance enables to clarify um, objectives and there is a multi-stakeholder governance that is encouraged to ensure that there is shared understanding across stakeholders on what needs to be uh, achieved or and whether the governance helps to address the question of impact measurement, um, the methodology, the scope, and ensuring that then when data are collected um, or that kind of information, um, there is alignment that what is measured is the right thing with the right data. So it's, it's kind of a long question, but there are so many <laughs> different um, mm -hmm. points which have come my way on, across those topic of governance, actually at the end of the day, building alignment. But I think it's interesting to have your perspective. And then, um, of course, uh, that'd be very interesting also to understand what Carla and, and Roberto can think actually also in terms of good practices, ensuring that the governance makes sure that each of the program that Carla and or Roberto can lead and share is based upon, I would say, as solid as possible, a consensus what needs to be done and how the measure is 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 performed priscilla yes thank you so much Farid. so just maybe uh, i'll try to answer as, as well as i can and and feel free to tell me if this uh, doesn't answer the question completely just to say that there are probably two levels to this question one is 
the governance in terms of the in, uh, internal governance system of a certain organization. And one other issue is the governance in terms of the provisions that are made to collect and report data within a certain project, let's say. So the, the governance that uh, governs, sorry, the relationship between the different actors. So in the standards, what we look at, it's really the internal governance systems of a certain organization. So we really look at how an organization is structured and see whether certain elements of this structure are more conducive of having a, a stronger impact uh, focus. Because standard four reads that the partner's commitment to contributing positively to the SDGs is reflected in, it, in its own governance practices. So within the standards, we really look at whether, for example, the, the staff is all sort of trained uh, for impact. So very often what we have observed in traditionally, especially in certain development finance institutions and asset managers, you have a, an impact function, which is the person or a team that sits in a certain office and they are the ones that are ultimately responsible to everything, to collect the data on impact, to do an impact profile of a certain project and so on and so forth. And basically they are always the only one who know about whatever is concerned with impact because impact is seen as an exercise, which is not necessarily exactly connected to the core. What is happening more and more is that this is not true anymore. And the board, the investment management teams of different development finance institutions and its managers, they are all sort of trained or incentivized to consider impact together with the financial returns and the risk profile aspects of a certain project or transaction. And this is a change because it's only by making sure that these considerations are front and center at the highest decision-making levels that you can really change the way in which uh, an investment an investment company or a VFI or a company in general is operated. So it's really about moving from a traditional paradigm of uh, reporting and having a guy in the office just putting some numbers on a piece of paper and sharing it with the world to really making sure that this data gets to the decision-making. And it also, it's also about making sure that there are adequate resources that are allocated, financial resources and non-financial resources to the development implementation of sound impact management practices. Because again, it's not just about having one person who can fill in a, a sheet. It's really about making sure that the team is empowered with the right financial resources to do that. So this is basically what, what we look at. And then of course, we also look at active uh, shareholder engagement and these kind of issues. In the standards, we look at that and they sort of focus when it comes to governance on that. When it comes to the governance of the relationships between the different actors that are involved in a certain transaction, uh, so investor, investee and all of that, we, in the standards, we make some provisions for that in the, in the part on the impact management approach where we really try to provide guidance on how uh, to collect the data, what kind of data should be collected and why. But let me stress just once again that the data collection part, it's in a way, let's say the impact measurement part is impossible to do if you don't have a very strong impact management system. So it can do, it, the two are interconnected, but what we have observed in practice is that the measurement sort of comes after making sure that the structure of the organization is of a certain quality. And one thing that Roberto mentioned that is very important 
you also you need standards and you need regulations exactly for this reason to make sure that all the different organizations are operating in a similar way and they're all reporting in, in similar ways because otherwise you can't have uh, ultimately you can't have comparability so i hope this answers the question it provides yes definitely some um, some some interesting food for thought for some um, questions that uh, came my way. Uh, Carla and Robert, or maybe Carla in order, any, any tip or guidance based on um, uh, lab programs for good uh, governance? And I would add to that one more question because time is running and I will ask uh, the same two questions to Roberto because you shared um, examples in Latin America and got some questions coming about the data and lack or absence of um, uh, data that can support um, good collection of um, contextual information supporting impact measurement. So uh, at least my question there is a tip on um, good um, governance that you think is driving um, uh, labs programs, one and two, experience with good uh, robust data collection um, working in Latin America particularly. And I would ask sure. the very same two questions to Roberto afterwards. Yeah, so yeah, I would take on one thing that, that Priscilla mentioned is that you do need intentionality. So one of the things we look a lot when selecting instruments for, for develop them is that the team, despite of the size of the organization, has a real sense of intentionality of generating impact. And from that, we start working about with the impact assessment and, and designing an implementation pathway in which impact would be embedded in, in all the activities and, and ultimately in the development of, of the instrument. So a quick example would be if we start with, if we work with a startup, they don't have the whole resources, but uh, while, they, while they scale, they start deploying more resources into uh, reporting impact, measuring impact, and, and trying to be more transparent in, in those terms to avoid the uh, the greenwashing spectrum and the critiques related to that. In, in, for your second question, in, for Latin America, we are seeing that bigger organizations are using data management tools for the collection of data. So we also work with many asset managers and most of, of the work they do is trying to, they use uh, satellite monitoring, um, machine learning, and another type of proprietary technology to track if sustainable practices, for example, are actually being accomplished. And in the, in the example I, I gave about Conexus, to see if these, the smallholder farmers are really doing what they are saying, and they are also measuring the, the effect of changing those sustainable practices. We've, we've been seeing this mostly in Brazil and Mexico, but but as I mentioned before, it's it's a new trend that it's emerging, and I think it's going to be more widespread as as we go. Great, Roberto. Yes. Uh, well, there, there are several things on the table. Uh, I don't know how to prioritize. First, on on internal governance uh, mentioned by Priscilla, I think it is very relevant what she said on involving the board of directors into the SDG or sustainable strategy. Okay, so we, we have had for many years a specific committee at board level. And believe me, that helps a lot us, the professionals of, of ESG, because that gives a very direct 
engagement of, of some of the directors of the board into what we do. And we get a lot of political support to put in place what is written in the bylaws, what is written in the policies. You also, you know, you, know, you, you need still to put that into operation and to integrate that with the business operations. And having a board member, you know, following closely at what you do and decisions that you take and the targets that you set and how you fulfill the targets is very important, okay? Second, on the non-financial information, uh, uh, no, second, on the, on the multilateral cooperation with, uh, you know, pr private public institutions, uh, I think multilateralism is basic for us um, because, because we're still, you know, companies, private uh, capital companies, okay? And uh, although we can do a lot, we can't do it alone. And, and for that reason, I think that, uh, you know, having, having a, a very close uh, relation with uh, public institutions locally, which are the ones that should set the policies and should give us uh, an open, stable, transparent regulatory framework to operate, okay? So with the, the private companies are very good in investing and operating assets, especially in the utility sector, Iberdrola is a leader in efficiency. We feel proud of that. What we need is clarity. We need somebody setting clear targets, good policies, and giving us a stable regulatory framework and so warranties, okay? And, and with all that, which is, which is a lot, but it's is basic, we can deploy capital and experience. Finally, on, on, on the non-financial information in Latin America, uh, I think that most of the companies are truly at the infancy on non-financial information elaboration. As I told you, uh, we lack universal standards, and this is to start with. Uh, second is, if the company is large, you need to implement a very strong IT system to support data collection. But it's not only about supporting data collection, it's also that you need to elaborate the KPIs and you need to define them and you need to ins install or uh, to implement internal controls. Somehow in the medium term, I think this is going to take a decade for many companies. Hopefully at Iberdrola, we get it done in, uh, much earlier than that. We're in a good way. We need to think as the, uh, the non-financial information as if it was financial information, as it was IFRS or USGAP elaborated uh, information. And that is the standard we need to look at. And that is, that is the trend. So that, unfortunately, that costs money and that takes time, but it has to be done because I think that what we have been discovering in the last few years in the, is that there is a very strategic part of the corporates and of the societies that was not captured by the financial information. And if you want to capture that side of the business, you need good information, you need good metrics, you need good targets. And if you need good information, you need to invest on that. Yeah, thank you very much for these um, wise um, kind of conclusions. We're running slightly out of time. So I will just ask our, uh, to the three of you, um, just a closing um, a comment. And actually I would ask you briefly uh, to respond to one simple question. Um, you know, the Priscilla, um, is there one thing that you found, um, and I put pressure on myself asking that question, that you find interesting uh, listening to Carla and Roberto uh, advancing your um, program? And I'm, 
asking the very same question to you, Carla and Roberto. Thank you, Farid. Yes, this for me was extremely interesting. I, I actually took a lot of notes also on the work that, that you, Carla and Roberto are doing, because uh, as you know, when we develop, well, as, you, as I said, when we develop the guidance of the standards, there will be uh, also a lot of, uh, there will be the need for a large consultation and there are also very ambitious provision on climate. So from Carla, I think I will take many of the things you said and I, I will reconnect to look more into that. And from Roberto, I think it was really interesting to see how this new regulation that is upcoming from the European Commission, it's really something, we often think that it's something that was pushed by civil society organizations and so forth, but actually it's very interesting for me to see how much companies that are really committed to become agents for good are really looking forward to, because this really creates the level playing field. So it was really, really good to see these positive comments, and, and I think it reinforces my, my conviction that we really need to also make sure that there is an international agreement uh, that also GRI somehow is pushing around these issues and that we can create an international level playing field, not just European level. Excellent. Carla. Sure. So I think the common theme and my main takeaway is related to measurement and reporting. This is a main challenge we've been seeing with all our stakeholders because this is a, a niche space yet. So there is no standardization. Um, more organization, most, most of the organizations are struggling on, on how to, to report this type of data. So from, from Priscilla, I think it's super interesting how they reframe some of the tools that already exist. And, and as she mentioned, they're not reinventing the wheel. They are just making it more available and more straightforward for, for stakeholders. And from Roberto, it's super interesting to see how um, a corporate company is implementing all these, all these ESG practices and is being compliant with, with different standards. And I agree with both that there is a lot to do still, and it's expensive. <laughs> It requires a lot of effort, but it needs to be done. Um, organizations as, as ours are, are starting. So, so it's important that we still have a group of, of people and, and actors that are moving this forward. Um, I, I think that uh, starting by Priscilla, the, the OECD is an institution with a tremendous capacity to influence. Uh, just think about the, the principles on human rights for, for, for companies, okay? So uh, I, I liked a lot of the analysis Priscilla presented on, on SDGs. Uh, what I would uh, suggest is uh, the OECD uh, somehow co-leads an international initiative to, to, to homogenize and universalize a standard, okay? The European Union is, is gonna have one standard, uh, we need we try to make to make it as as universal as, as possible or to 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 reach an agreement with GRIs as be etc because that truly will make information compatible and that will make the process more efficient i'm a bit concerned on the cost okay so uh, congratulations to the OECD on on all the initiatives and and and, and a suggestion to to co-lead uh, a direction of universalizing all of this. And, and to Carla, it's great to see uh, 
people, uh, imaginative, innovative people working in new ways of financing. I encourage Carla uh, and the lab to, to go in this direction because I think that the, the capital market has room for everybody. Uh, we, we've been issuing under the uh, green bond principles. The European Union will have uh, sooner than later a European green bond standard, but the capital market is huge. I think there is room for everybody. I think re related to SDGs, uh, the Big South and other countries, they have enormous uh, need for, for new fresh capital. And, and I think that any initiative to widen the uh, spectrum of products, financial products is, is welcome. So, uh, you know, congratulations again and encouragement. Thank you very much, Roberto. Carla and Priscilla for your um, contribution and, and closing remarks, which uh, I think um, show that uh, having those platforms is, is useful to connect uh, the dots across initiatives and inspire our participants. I mean, um, I can see through the chat function that people are uh, very interested by uh, what's been shared today. Um, the presentation will be accessible on our website. Um, and just uh, closing in one minute, um, the, the discussion held today, um, you can uh, mark up your agenda for um, the next webinar that will be part of those series with a focus on resilient raw materials supply and um, that will take place in October. So we have time and um, a lot of the um, different content that we have are accessible on the website in the publication section that, uh, that we have. Um, question and answers, feel free to reach out uh, to uh, XAPA team uh, on LinkedIn, Twitter and Medium uh, page. And it is time, um, given the different uh, time zones taking part in this conversation, for some it's, it's slightly late, um, to close uh, the webinar. So I thank Carla, Roberto and Priscilla again for your contributions. For everyone, bear in mind that uh, the presentation um, shared today, as much as a couple of web links shared by interveners, uh, will be uploaded on the website in um, a few days from, from today. Um, and are accessible open source uh, should you want to connect with others and, um, and, and make the most of those content that are put at your disposal to ensure that you can um, have some concrete tools to progress on those, um, on those topics. So at XAPA, we are delighted to have uh, convened that conversation and we thank you all and I will have to close this discussion for today. I wish you all a good day or evening. <laughs>